0: Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction, so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun- functional issues, problems like that. Or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes or just build one new home in its place and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com. And when you go there, there's a contact us tab. Click on that and you can send us a message and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this. And hopefully we What's up everybody out there and listening, this is episode number 96 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We are back again this week without a guest, but with an amazing topic, one that's hot, hot, hot. It's been going around all the forums. It's been causing sleepless nights for many realtors. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But uh, before we get into all that, I want to welcome my co-host to the show. What's up, steve Hey, good to be on the show, Tucker. I feel like we're starting to get a drum roll every one of these
1: shows number 96
0: 96 we're getting close joe said he wanted to be number 100 i know Uh, i know so we'll have to work on maybe a, a party episode or something as we break the uh 100 threshold but yes we are we are getting close
1: we and we need to start brainstorming those ideas. My, I'm proposing we all be in the same room somewhere and we all have a beer in our hands and it's uh, a, a sunny afternoon.
0: <laughs> maybe, yeah, uh, um, and, maybe and we'll, we could call it the A the Crop 100. I'm kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I don't ever go there, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> me neither, me neither. Yeah. We got a big topic we're going to talk about, which is this iBuyer phenomenon, which we'll get into. But before we dive into the world of that, I'm going to throw it over to you. What's been going on with your world? Yeah. So in my personal
1: business, I haven't really talked about this, I don't think yet. And it's not for any particular reason other than I think we've just had a lot of other stuff to talk about, but it's a huge thing going on in my personal business and it's been going on for some time now, a few months. I am working closely with Riverside Homes. They're a large, relatively large builder that really focuses on the west side of Portland. They're based, believe it or not, out of Seattle. They have a different umbrella name up there and they're in a few other markets. They're, I want to say they're in Salt Lake City for sure and maybe more. I'm by no means their only realtor. In fact, I'm partnered up with Steve and Jamie Alves. It was a kind of a stroke of fortune um, and it's been a really good Partnership with the Alves as well as Riverside. Here's kind of the long version of the story. About five years ago, a lady called me and she, I think she found me on Zillow and she was asking about a property. And she she told me, she said, I own a house in Hillsborough that just got annexed into the urban growth boundary. I've got two acres here. It's developable. I'm not ready to sell. My My husband's mom lives with us and we don't want to move her. She's about 93 years old. So we're kind of waiting for her to pass on. And then we're going to do something. We're ready to move. We want to move up to Washington. So I actually went out, met with her and I, I pulled in at this time, five years ago, I was fairly new to new construction. I didn't really know much of anything about it. And I was excited to learn. I pulled in Steve Alves who had did have a lot of experience back in the day working with mini builders and on developments and land projects. And um, I brought him in, I said, let's just co-list this and split it down the middle, 50-50, and maybe we'll even get some list backs, et cetera, et cetera. So we met, it went well, we parted ways with her. She goes, Okay, you're you're my people, but you know, like I said, it's gonna be a, you know, it might be a year or two before I call you up and, and we're ready to do this because we don't want to move my mother-in-law. So sure enough, two years later, by this time, it's now, you know, 2015, 16, I think she reaches out and she goes, okay, we're ready to do this. We're ready to sell. I kind of say that because this is long in the making. It wasn't a quick process, but it has ultimately bloomed into a very, very cool thing. So then we went, we listed the property and along the way, made inroads with riverside homes who came and looked at it and they said this isn't our wheelhouse is what we do and by the way we are thinking the neighbor's house which was a newer home we we were thinking it can it should be bulldozed and we can actually instead of putting 13 14 houses here we can put about 29 30 houses and so we represented riverside we got them to agree to give us the list backs and ultimately closed on both properties then another, and here's the thing, if, if anything, if our listeners learn from anything here and Tucker, you know this, especially in this world, I think, I I don't know if you've done the many like developments per se, where, where there's multiple houses, but these things do not move quickly. It was another two years of Riverside, you know, doing their due diligence, getting their entitlements, annexing into the city while it was in the urban growth boundary. It wasn't annexed into Hillsborough getting permits, finally closing, then developing it, putting in the streets and the utilities. And then finally, just this year in February, the model home went up and uh, we had our grand opening in March. And since then, once a week I go there and it's usually Sundays and and sometimes one of our other team members will show up too. And we'll sit in the model home and And it's been really, really interesting. It's been fun. And um, right now we've got about six of them in escrow. Uh, Since February, um, that was when the model home went up. They've, now there's like, you know, 10 in process, five, six of them are under contract in escrow. And it's, it's just, it's really cool. It's really rewarding. It's been fun for me because I've listed a lot of homes. This is my first subdivision. And so that has been rewarding for me in a whole new way to bring marketing to that. Instead of, you know, hey, Here's my marketing for a home. It's here's my marketing for a community, and it's been really fun, really exciting. And along the way, Riverside Homes gave us another subdivision over by Glencoe High School. So, we've got another 16 homes going in there. They're a little bit bigger, bigger lots. I've been diligently looking for land for Riverside. We, I've brought them a few opportunities, and they're happy with us. We're happy with them. It's been it's been really cool. So, I've got that going on in my personal business. Um, let me talk about PPG a little bit. Couple things going on. Pretty excited. One of the things we've talked about on this show, Tucker, one of the big pushes for me in the last, gosh, year or two has been to really, really start going after my database. As as I've said in, in the past, I, you know, at this point, I've sold about a thousand houses. There's about a thousand people out there that have used my team and the vast majority have had a, a great experience. And so, you know, it's on me to keep in touch with them, make sure they come back to me when they want to do something else and hopefully also send some other people my way. So one of the things I've deployed in the past three months that I've been very, very happy with and has been working very well for me in this process was a new e-newsletter. I found a company out of the East Coast that one of our agents actually introduced me to, and I've kind of been testing it personally myself. And what they do is they they come up with the entire format. It's a, it's, it's a newsletter has really, really powerful backend analytics that lets you upload your entire database. In my case, I've got about 3,000 people. Obviously, it's not just past clients, but it's prospective clients, it's clients along the way that didn't buy or ones that we're working with today that are, we're hoping to get purchased. And anyways, um, it's got some powerful backend analytics where you upload your email lists and their names and it it customizes the name to them and it tells you on the backend who's clicking on what articles, who's engaging, how many opens you're getting, what the bounce rate is, what your percentage, obviously tells you your opt-outs, which it's, I've been incredibly impressed. My last newsletter that went out, we had a 25% open rate, which was really good. Um, that means one in four people actually clicked on it and opened it and looked at it. And then I think about 5% actually clicked on articles and, and were reading things. This company that we're partnering with, and i'm hoping to do something exclusive with ppg in the northwest and we've got some meetings set up for that but they put together the lion's share of the content it's pretty generic content that could be used anywhere nationally it's you know everything from you know remodeling tricks and tips to you know ways to conserve energy in the summer just a whole array of valuable information for whether they're in the market to buy or sell or just own a home but then what's cool is we, on our end, are able to make it about Portland. We can add in about two or three key articles. One of the ones I've been adding in is the Market Action Report. We had an article about that. On another issue, we tie it to RPR and we show what's happening in all the suburban areas. So Twalton, and Tigard. Click here to see you know, the latest data for each of these, and it's tied to RPR. We then put in some some fun stuff. This next newsletter I've got going out. Has you know, Portland's area's best golf courses. The last one I had had wineries to go to over Memorial Day weekend. So it's been really great. I've been thrilled with it. We're having a meeting with a PPG marketing committee next week, and we'll do a webinar with the company. And I'm I'm hoping to roll it out to all of our agents who want to use it and make it very turnkey. And the cool thing about it is it could be used in all the markets we're in. It could be used in Southwest Washington. It could be used in Bend. We simply just have to to tweak those, those key couple articles that are specific to that market. The rest of the material and content is valuable in any market. So we've got that going on real quickly. We're also rolling out Cloud CMA to our agents. We've been in talks with them for a while. We already have about 50 agents using Cloud CMA. By partnering up with Cloud CMA, we're going to save them about 50 percent on what they were paying to Cloud CMA. We're also going to be able to give them a lot of tools and options they didn't have before that will make it um, even that much better for them to use. And of course, those who know Cloud CMA, it's just it's just an add on to ARMless. It actually works directly with ARMless, so that when you're pulling a CMA in ARMless, you can upload it through Cloud CMA and it just makes it more user friendly and look better. It, it really is a better experience in the CMA process. And then lastly, customizable welcome packages. We've had welcome packages for a while. We have a buyer version, a seller version, very, very nicely done. We have an online ordering site that that hooks up to a fulfillment company that we work with. We're making it so that our agents in the near future will be able to customize those to have very specific information about themselves and each one, their bio and so on and so forth. So our agents are pretty excited about that. We've got some good stuff going on. We're busy. How about on your end, Tucker?
0: Well, we got a bunch going on as well. I will, I'll lead off with saying, you know, we've got a technology side of the business where we've got an app that basically um, pulls all homeowner information, which is how we basically target a lot of properties that we buy, which will lead into our discussion today. But I had an interesting conversation with big data and I called you off the record and I'm going to keep it on the down low as far as what it is. But there's some interesting stuff technology wise that's coming into play um, as we move forward into this business. And it reminded me that this business is going to change on a lot of fronts, marketing being one of them. And it's kind of crazy how you can target people and kind of get in front of them. And specifically the conversation we had off the record was basically how to get in front of, potentially unrepresented buyers. And um, we'll get, maybe we'll get Kurt on the show one day to uh, spill the beans on uh, what that all means, but I'll keep everybody in suspense for now. But uh, that was a big conversation and kind of a thing that'll continue building. And and eventually I'll share it with our audience here in full and you guys will be blown away by it for sure. Uh, But secondly, PPG related, we put a property on the market a couple weeks ago and we actually accepted an offer from one of your brokers, Steve, courtesy of, uh, you know, a good phone call with you, of course. Um, but uh, we had competing offers. They were basically the same. And uh, I said, Steve, should I take the offer? You said you should. I said, OK, I will. And so uh, we did. And it's been a good. Does that agent know
1: somewhere. that I said that, Tucker?
0: <laughs> well, she does now. So, yeah. So. <laughs> did she ever uh, did she ever um, acknowledge the podcast? Uh, I personally have not spoken to her. Um, yeah, she, oh, that's right. She was talking yeah, to it. Yeah, she deals yeah. with Chris. Um, But, uh, well, cool. our buyer actually came through the open house and, um, Chris met him. He's a really nice guy and, uh, he'll have a great house, but, um, you know, it's kind of a testament to the market. We put a, you know, for us, a $650,000 house is kind of on the cheap side. It's expensive. I know for a lot of people, but just kind of for what we do. And, um, also for Lake Oswego, you know, totally redone 650, you know, is kind of entry level in a lot of places. So it sold. Uh, we had multiple offers in uh, one day and um, we ended up selling it and we've got a great buyer. And so far we've had a great transaction. So awesome. awesome. I'll,
1: I'll, I'll let her know I'm expecting my referral fee. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah you should,
0: or at least, uh, you know, a $5 Starbucks card. <laughs> oh yeah. That would work. That would work. That's
1: um, <laughs> no, that's awesome.
0: That's awesome. She's a great agent. I'm glad it's going well for you. Um, and, uh, we've we've got another project that, uh, we're going to be putting on the market here next week. That's right by, um, Lewis and Clark law school that uh, we're pretty excited about. It'll be completely redone. It's about a 9,000 square foot lot. There's room to add an ADU. There's a full basement. Um, we didn't take it all the way there and put an ADU and finish out the basement, but somebody will love it. It's, uh, actually the guy that owned it, uh, was the head of uh, backyard habitat. So it's got all kinds of natural plants and cool stuff. He's got even a dojo in the backyard, like an open air dojo that uh, he used for meditation. So somebody's going to eat this thing up and it'll be um, we'll probably price it somewhere between five and five fifty. It's a three bedroom, two bath. Uh, It's going to be a great house. So that's this one will probably fly the same as the other one. So if anybody out there has somebody looking in the uh, area that's around Lewis and Clark Law School, uh, we'll be putting this thing on the market in probably about a week, so you got a little, little lead time to reach out to us, because there's not much on the market there, that's for sure, especially turnkey. Um, on the more expensive front, we're making some great headway on our Dunthorpe project, which Reminds me, we were talking about having uh, you know a party for the 100th episode. I think we'll definitely be having a uh, Portland Real Estate Podcast sponsored uh, kickoff party for this house once it's complete. Oh, um, that's awesome! I yeah, think I've we, been
1: telling you for years that you needed to do that. That would be that would be really cool. I don't suppose that's in time for the hundredth, is it? Uh,
0: I don't know. We're going to be finishing around the end of summer, so probably not. But uh, it, either way, we can have a, a, a party there. It's the house is turned out amazing. It's one of those projects where, you know, you hope that it turns out great. You've got good feel for it, but then once it actually gets framed, the house is kind of sitting on the lot, you start to see how grand it really feels, and uh, it, it's going to be without a doubt one of the most amazing homes built not only this year but in a long time here in the Portland metro area. So it's it's turning out awesome. Um, it's the same plan that we built in the 2013 Street of Dreams, as I've probably said before, um, but this time with uh, a little different design and uh, just some tweaks that make it very specific to Dunthorpe and the uh, buyers that uh, will eat it up there. So it's an awesome house, and I'm, I'm excited to see it take shape. Now, on the flip side... I will say this. A lot of the, a lot of people see, you know, the cool stuff that we as builders are able to do. And then sometimes, you know, the money the builders make, but they don't see all of the pain in the ass stuff that we deal with. And literally on this project, we've been very, we are always very cognizant of our neighbors, right? We We've been in this game for a long time and we try and be very aware that people live next door on the same street we keep things clean tidy we make sure our guys are very nice and polite um you know they're not doing anything they're not supposed to do but literally if there is a guy walking on the job site at 6:59 a.m i'm getting complaint calls and emails from one of the neighbors on this project and work hours are from seven to six and so if anybody is even walking around there at 601 I'm getting calls if anybody is, you know, putting their tool belt on at six fifty nine. I'm getting emails. It's just been unbelievable. And we had one guy stop by the site. And I I don't even know I was going to investigate this further just to flush it out because it seemed insane. But there was a guy that stopped by the site who said that he was with the IRS and he went straight to our framing crew, went past everybody else. And uh, when I say they went past everybody else, he went past all the white guys that were working in the excavators and standing around doing what white guys do. And they went straight to our framing crew and demanded to see um, – they wanted to know who paid them and wanted to find out uh, uh, their payroll reports, which is a weird thing to request, number one, on the job site. But number two is the IRS virtually never – they don't make no, visits to the job them. site. Did so, he have credentials? Did he claim no. to have And he didn't have credentials either. So it was – it was kind of a, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, I think a bullying mission. And so eventually the guy that owns the framing company, he got his number, but the guy didn't leave a card. And then he called him and he's like, well, what do you want? And he's like, uh, I want the, the number to your your payroll company. And he was like, uh, okay, well, here's ADP's number or whatever, right? Well, you're not going to get anything from ADP without a signed consent form of some sort, right? To release your payroll re- information. And if you're with the state, you get the payroll reports anyway. So I think that somehow this individual was somehow tied to one of the neighbors who was just making like, you know, basically a bullying mission to stop by and try and, you know, just-
1: That is a crazy difficult. story, man. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: <laughs> so initially I thought it was ICE showing up, basically trying to figure out whether or not guys are legal. And it so it scared the hell out of a lot of our workers, right? But, because they didn't leave a card, and they were kind con- they said they were the IRS, but the IRS doesn't show up to job sites. They send you letters and they show up to the office and they talk to people like me, not the people out there. You know, OSHA shows up to job sites. Workers comp. Uh, inspectors will show up out there. There are inspectors that show up on the job site, but not the IRS, and especially not the IRS looking for payroll reports because that's the last place that you're going to look is actually on the job site talking to somebody who's framing the house, right? So we've had some really strange stuff go on, and I think, The root of it is uh, neighbor issues, which it's just amazing to me how bent out of shape people get about redevelopment happening around them. It's just, it's crazy. And we experience it all the time. I know we've had Randy on the show. He experiences it all the time too. He's got really thick skin as we all do over time, but uh, it's just unfortunate that people can't just enjoy the fact that um, we are raising their property value and we're putting in a $3 million home on their street where previously it was just an overgrown jungle. So either way. It's no, that is not only anxiety. a
1: crazy story, but it's a ballsy story. Like, yeah,
0: the yeah. gall you would
1: have. I mean, you know what, Tucker? That's a crime. That's I know impersonating I know.
0: a federal agent. That is a freaking crime. Like, yeah. you can go to jail for that. And I have. So I was able to track down the guy's number and I just haven't had the time, but I was going to put him through our back end system of hey, basically hey, skip hey, tracing. you on. have his number handy? <laughs> uh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: after the show, we won't do it on the show. We won't out him on the show. I've got that back end system too. I pay a uh, hundred bucks a month for a background check service. You give me that number. I'll give you his name, his address. I'll tell you the last place. I'll tell you the last 20 places he's lived in since 1990. I'll tell you what cars he drives. I'll tell you his criminal record. I've got everything. So.
0: Uh, we will dig this guy up after, but uh, yes, I... I felt like it was impersonating an IRS uh, person as well, or at a minimum, they were just making a flyby per request of a neighbor, uh, just trying to intimidate or bully or just be a pain in our ass. Yeah, and, but uh, he might have got himself in over his head on that. I, one. I um, agree. I do think, you have proof that
1: he did that? Yes. Oh yeah,
0: we've got proof that he did. It. Yeah. Because um, he otherwise he wouldn't have. Uh, we wouldn't have got his phone number. But he didn't hand out his card. And as. Everybody knows if the IRS shows up at your office or anybody shows up anywhere, the first thing they lead with is that business card. that says, hi, I'm so-and-so with what agency? Here's my card. I need this from you, right? Not, um, you know, they they don't do it this way. So really weird story. And uh, really, I just think it comes down to the fact that there's Somebody who will remain nameless. That's uh, a neighbor that just likes to make life difficult on us. So, anyway, that's uh, that's that's the fun part of the business. Wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll keep everybody posted. We'll do some digging after the show, and uh, we'll see if I need to uh, call our guy over at Channel Eight and do a news story on uh, somebody getting over their skis, uh, pretending to be somebody they shouldn't be. But that's the uh, that's the fun side of the business, folks. That uh, you get to deal with. See, when you're a realtor, you get to deal with um, you know the niceties and people, and you meet them. When you're a builder, you kind of skip through all the nicety stuff and you get to find out who people are at the core (laughs) because they just don't. Some people just really, really don't like uh, any sort of change or redevelopment or construction on the street. And for good reason. You know, construction can be a little bit annoying, but it can bring the worst out of some people really quickly. That's for sure. So. Anyway, I don't want to uh, I don't want to drag it on too long because we got a great topic. Uh, but other than that, we've got a lot of stuff going on. We got a lot of uh, another house going on the market. Another one we're building. Uh, we're making some great headway on some other stuff. But uh, I want to dive into our topic because it's a hot one. It's one that's been going around for a while now. Um, I think it's gained more you know momentum as of late because we've talked about it before, and I don't think people gave it all, as much credence as maybe they should have. But the reason being is because Zillow's stance on this has changed pretty dramatically as well since we first even had them on the show, right? Initially, uh, this whole iBuyer thing or Zillow's instant offer, when we had them on the show, they framed it as it was basically bait to get people to have a more in-depth conversation so that then they could flip them over to their premier agents or their agents in certain markets because ultimately they're not going to want to take a discount on their house. They'd rather get max value. And so it's just a different type of bait to start that conversation. Well, truth be told, they really, (laughs) they had their own best intentions in in mind the whole time, which was turning themselves into, uh, to some extent, a a house buying company. And so now we're in a world where not only is Zillow doing it, we've got companies like Open Door, OfferPad, uh, I believe Keller Williams even said they're going to start an iBuyer type, um, you know, entity that works within their organization. I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. You may know more about it, but I kind of want to dive into this whole thing, starting with you, Steve, and kind of your perspective on it, what you know, and then we can kind of pinball back with me and I can give you my perspective as well as the information that I have on my side, because ultimately I am to some extent an iBuyer, have been for a long time. But now that these companies do it as well, it's kind of pulled back the veil and it's it's shown what our business really is. They just happen to have a whole shitload of institutional money behind them um, in order to buy tons of houses. And it doesn't matter whether they make money or not. But without further ado, I'll throw it over to you and let you kick this one off. Okay.
1: <laughs> There's going to be a lot to unpack here, Tucker, and I think you you know that too. Um You, uh, and and I will say this Uh, every once in a while, I will see a post. There was one in masters yesterday. There's been some in other Facebook groups that I belong to. And every once in a while I'll get tempted to comment and, um, and I'll say, and I'll just tell you, this is one of the things I love about the podcast. There are certain things that are just so, there's so much to say that you can never say it on Facebook, um, quite right. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to have y- you and I for the next few, you know, half hour or so to talk about this, because there is a lot to talk about. I have, I have, a, I've, I've, um, I have a lot to say and I, I have, you know, there's good, bad and ugly, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot going on here. So, <clears throat> so let me just start with this. Open door is real. It is out there. Um, I mentioned earlier in this podcast that I sit at, a, uh, at an open house um, at least once a week. Um, and I can tell you at least one person is coming through there, each open house, and they are saying, if I need to, I will sell my house to Open door. Um They're not, it, it, it hasn't come across to me thus far that it's their primary method. Or if it is, it's, it's kind of an idea. But there, it is a backup plan for sure. So the consumers are aware of Open Door. They are using Open Door um, to buy their houses quickly. Okay. Um, so it is it is real. Now, um, <clears throat> here's what I here's what I'll, I'll tell you. I, I've got two transactions that I can relate to right now. First of all, that's I mean, and while that could sound scary, here's the good news, guys. These guys these guys are buffoons when it comes to trying to make money. They are in the business right now of buying high and selling low. Okay. And I'm going to give you, um, which by the way is not a great business. Um, I'm going to give you two addresses listeners, and I want you to look these up. Don't take my word for it. One of these Mike team is currently an escrow on it's, it's owned by open door. That one is 4348-183rd terrace. Okay. Um, I'm gonna pull that up real quick as we're talking. Um, that's four three four eight one eighty third. Um, and I can tell you exactly what we're in escrow for and how, what concessions and everything. Okay. So we have some buyers um that found this, and we it's owned by Open Door, and um, we're making an offer. Here's the great thing about real estate. By the way, um, these guys compare themselves to the Lyfts and Ubers of the world. Well, the lifts and ubers of the world, you don't know what they're paying the guy that's driving you. You don't know what technology costs are involved. Now, to be fair, they are publicly traded companies. So you are starting the curtain is now starting to be opened up on that stuff. But here's the beautiful thing about open door and these iBuyer companies. It's a it's this wonderful thing called public records, right? So I'm looking at the tax records for 4348 Southwest 183rd Terrace. Open Door bought this February 15th of this year for $338,300, $338,300, okay? They went into the property. You can tell by the pictures, and we've been inside, that they they freshened it up a little bit. They put some new carpet, you know, cleaned it up, right? That cost— who's, who's
0: there, Who are they using to
1: list, by the way, here? Do they have in-house or no? Uh, yeah, they do. Yeah, there's a there's a gal here. I won't say her name, but she works for Open Door. Okay, no. so
0: they do have a brokerage, then. Right. Yep.
1: Oh yeah, Open Door Brokerage LLC is the uh, is the listing yep. company. Um, the house went onto the market uh, in March second at three fifty seven. They then dropped their price to three fifty four, then three forty eight. We are in escrow at three forty, and they're giving us three thousand dollars in closing costs. Remember, remember that they bought it for, um, and they're paying us $10,000 commissions too. (laughs) So, I mean, um, so they, they have made, they're, they're losing money on this house. Okay. There's one example. Um, and, and by the way, that doesn't factor in what they're paying their listing agent. We don't know what they're paying for renovations. They obviously have carrying costs, um, they obviously have technology, right? They're, their big thing is we let you tour our houses ourselves. So they're setting up these homes with some kind of technology. Um, the other example I have, um, is one on the other side of things. This person called me up for a listing appointment. Um, he found me online. It was about a year ago. I went there. Maybe it was, maybe it was more recent than that. Maybe it was seven, eight months ago. And I was horrified. It's pretty rare where I go to a listing appointment and I'm really, really not excited at all about the house. And and more more than anything, probably not even calling the person back and, and pursuing it. And that is exactly
0: what happened with this listing. It was in Tigered right on Guardian. So here's Road. where we well, I'll let you keep going with that. But here's where I'll interject. The next time you walk into a house like that, you go, hmm, this place sucks ass. I know who I should call. <laughs> I'll call Tucker and I'll double end it and I'll deliver him this crappy house that he can turn into an. Oh, you
1: don't, you didn't want this one, Tucker.
0: It's on Road. I'm
1: just, I'm just. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I would have done
1: that if if I thought it was a good flip opportunity. I, I would go to the pros who know what they're doing. No, these guys are buffoons. These guys, these guys are just buying houses, um, and and that's kind of where I'm going with this. They, their, their scorecard is not profit; it's transactions. Mm Just like I mean, and and, and 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 this is not this is not a new concept. These technology companies, quote unquote, technology companies, right? And Zillow's definitely gonna falls in that category. Open door, you know, somewhat in that category. Uber, Lyft are in that category. These technology companies, they go years and years without ever making a profit. I mean, who? For years now, Tucker, you and I and and the mass public has said, "Oh yeah, Uber's successful because all my friends have the app and all my friends use it and we love it, right?" Have you seen how much money they're losing? Yeah,
0: billions they're hem- and
1: billions of their dollars and their stock is tanking. By the way, yeah, by the way, their IPOs did not do very well. Nor did Lyft. Yeah. Nor did Lyft. And um and uh Along those lines, they, oh, and by the way, Lyft and Uber have no plans of profitability. There is no, there is no roadmap to this. Is what will make us profitable, right? We have companies now entering into the real estate space on that same notion. So, one two seven six zero Southwest Caulfield Court. I went to this house. The front door is literally, and if you look through the photos, you, you'll see this. The front door is literally about 10 feet away from Gardie Road in Tigard. Gardie is a very, very busy road. Even though the address is not Gardie, the front door is on Gardie. Um, it, it's, it's right off of a side street that, you, you, in picture number 18 in RMLS, you can see the front door 10 feet away from Gardie. When I went to this house, there was, there w- the house L- looked like it had been lived in for ten years and never once champ or uh, never once vacuumed or m- cleaned anything. It was kind of hoarderish. It was um, the yard was completely overgrown. It was in very 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 bad shape. Open door bought this house. I'm blown away by this. February fifth of this year for four twenty two. Ouch they've they've since gone in. I went through the pictures. They've definitely freshened it up. It does look better. I, I wouldn't say it looks great. It's still the same house. It's still it, I mean, it looks like lipstick on a pig, to be honest with you, but they they did that. They've got their carrying costs. they've got their their staffing costs. they've got their technology costs. They've got all their costs, right? So they bought it for four twenty two. It's still active on the market. It started on the market at four fifty two. They dropped it in April to 445, then 442, then 440. They're now at 430, Tucker, and they don't still have a buyer. They bought it for 420. Oh, and by the way, there's a 2.5% BAC. Do the math. That's about $9,000. If they get a full price offer, they'll break even on what they paid it for with real estate commissions, nothing else. This is their model. This is the model that we are worried about. Here's what, here's what, okay, so that's the good news. The good news is these guys aren't making money. The bad news is that what I started to say before Wall Street and, the, and Silicon Valley, and the, which is where Open Door is based out of San Francisco, they're okay with that. They're, they're, they're just shoveling money into these companies and into these funds that are funding them and bankrolling them going, oh, no, 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 it's okay. We don't expect you to make money. Uber and Lyft didn't make money and they're wildly successful. You just keep going out there and you keep making sellers happy. You keep doing transactions. That's how we're going to judge your success. It's really eerie to me because I, I, I think there is the potential... There's a couple different ways I think this this story is going to end. <clears throat> one one scenario, and I don't think this is the likely scenario, but it it is unnerving to me because it has eerie it has eerie similarities to the to the real estate bubble of the early two thousands, where Wall Street was dumping money into buying mortgage backed securities that they thought were so. Innovative and so technologically smarter, much smarter, and the real estate market can never fail. So let's just keep shoveling money, and let's take pension mon- fund money, and let's do this and this and this and this, and this and, and let's because uh, we've outsmarted everybody else, right? And what I'm worried, what I what I what I see could happen here, I don't think it's going to happen because I think people are still. I think there's smart enough people that are going to realize this is that you could start to see huge funds say oh these guys are changing real estate they are going this is the future we don't know when they're going to make a profit but let's I believe I believe and let's throw our money into it and and billions of dollars start coming into these companies that you that you named Tucker they start going in and just buying all these houses at, at uh, l- Lord only knows what prices, and and with no with no intention of making money. And then what happens when the music stops? Right? What if what if all of a sudden? And again, this is a worst case scenario and one that I don't think is going to happen. But what if all of a sudden ten percent of Portland was owned by Zillow? Who is coming into Portland by the way in the Zillow offers? <laughs> Open door, offer pad. And maybe there's other players that are going to go, hey, we don't want to get left behind. Let's start our own company and do this. Let's just go start buying houses and flipping them without knowing what we're doing. What if all of a sudden ten percent of Portland was uh, and and by ten percent I mean ten percent of the available inventory was was owned by these companies? What if it was twenty percent? And then what if the music stops and all of a sudden the investors? It's dot com bubble or it's you know two thousand seven bubble? And all of a sudden everybody goes wait a minute none of you guys know how to make money I'm not giving you another dime. And then are these companies too big to fail? Absolutely not. So then suddenly one of them goes under that puts pressure on the real estate market. Cause now they start dumping their inventory. Now the next one goes under, then the next one. And what does that do to the real estate market? I think that's a hugely worst case scenario and I don't think it's gonna happen and here's why. Because I, I watch CNBC every day and there is a lot of pressure, not only on these companies, forget these companies. There is a lot of pressure on the Lyfts and Ubers of the world to figure their shit out and start making money. Um, Wall Street has been burned too much recently. They got burned in the late 1990s when the dot-com bubble was happening and all these companies had huge valuations and they sounded great on paper but none of them could figure out how to make money and they got burned in the with real estate specifically in the mid to early 2000s when innovation and technology and oh we figured that, this out that we we we're not going to you know we we figured out how to take we figured out how to take these mortgages and um and slice them up in the, in a way that there's no risk and real estate can't go down, right? You know the other thing that that's interesting to me is and why this reminds me of the early 2000s, because make no mistake, right? Like the guy that the, the the guy that I met in Tigard who had that really really dumpy house with with his front door ten feet away from Gardy, he's a happy camper there is no scenario in my mind where he is not just dancing the happy dance going, thank you open door and probably telling all his friends, Oh my gosh, call open door. They will take a pig off your hands and give you more money than they can even get for it. Yeah. After they fixed it up and did everything else. Right. Um, so, so of course he's going to have, he's going to be singing praises about open door. Right. And, and, and while that sounds good on the surface, Tucker, do you think in 2006 people weren't singing praises about Countrywide? Do you think, do you think consumers who went and got a stated income loan that worked at Starbucks and bought a house and 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 suddenly are living in it and and don't have the money? I mean, do you think they weren't going, "Wow, Countrywide's awesome. They're so easy." Like I just. I just called him up, fogged him here, and I got a loan. That's awesome. It's always awesome until it doesn't work, right? So I don't know. I've talked a long time here, Tucker. I've got more to say, but but go ahead. Chime in on your thoughts. I mean, that's what I'm seeing in, in this this whole space.
0: I think to summarize your thoughts, I agree on, on pretty much every front. But to summarize it, it's we're playing a game, at least – From my vantage point because i'm i'm basically playing a game against these guys um but i'm playing a game against guys that don't have to make money they're not judged on making money at the current time like you said the scorecard is about market share and transaction it's not about profitability now for anybody in the normal world that runs a business like let's say me I, i get judged on profitability right because if i'm not profitable There's only so long I can eat into what I have before I'm like, you know what? This just isn't working. And uh, I'm not going to go on a five year run, uh, you know, when uh, of losing money when I can just pull the plug and say, screw it. Right. Or a 10 year run or whatever it is. And so, you know, there were some numbers here and I think this is important to just kind of let people conceptualize what you're talking about. But um, so for Zillow they had, let's see, their numbers were, uh, let's see, they lost $109,000 per property on average in Q1 that they sold. 414 homes they sold, it breaks down to about four or $109,000 lost per. Now, they are lumping in a lot of costs as far as like, Uh, technology and marketing and things like that. So a lot of these costs are front-end heavy costs, right? That they're basically saying, look, we had to pay for market share through marketing, and we have these technology tracks that we have to lay, and we have to do all these things. But they lost huge amounts of money, like $45 million or $48 million, Mm -hmm. something like that is what they lost in that sector of their business in Q1. Open Door, based on the uh, numbers that (laughs) you're sharing with me on what they're buying, they're probably in the same boat. Now, the other thing that's interesting, though, is that Open Door, they just, Ray, I pulled this article up before we um, started uh, recording, but this past week, this article was put out, uh, this article was put out last month. They raised $300 million in March, So, th- th- and that's more money that they raised, and they have a $3.8 billion valuation. So we have companies that are buying properties that you just went through, like the one that's got the the front door that's 10 feet from the busy road, right? So Mm -hmm. like a guy like me goes and looks at that house and I say, okay, and I I looked at one this week that was disgusting or last week that was disgusting. It had the door literally was eight feet to the main road. It was just a stupid house, right? And I look at it and I go, oh my God, this is a really difficult sale uh, on a retail level. Um, It also needed a fair bit of work it's almost the, the, the risk meter. When you're in my business, you have to look at, okay, well, what's the, the marketability of the home? How much work does it need? If the marketability is in the shit tank and the amount of work that it needs is sizable, it's just, it's no good most of the time, right? I mean, you can take that project on, you can do it, but in terms of assigning risk to it, it's a very high risk project for very little reward on on the other end potentially. And so it sounds like for them, that risk meter is almost non-existent, right? They're buying based on transactions and market share, and that supersedes anything. And so you're right; they're they and there's also projections that they've made that they're saying that they they think it's going to be you know for Zillow anyway. They're going to make twenty billion dollars in this sector of their business within five years. Well, here's my problem with it, right? Five years from now, I think our real estate market is going to be dramatically different than it is today. i at some point over the next five years, the music will stop right there, It's there already be flat sl- year over year we, yeah
1: we we aren't talking market action today. We'll do that you know in our next episode, but it's flat year over year in portland and it's down in in San francisco so yeah. I mean yeah
0: <laughs> there is a very strong likelihood that as they are looking to become wildly profitable from losing a ton of money during that same time period, they're going to have some strong headwinds in terms of market forces and just general market conditions. And so as you and I both know, you know, when things get rocky in the real estate world, things get messy quick, right? And these, these projections change. I mean, you know, these publicly traded companies or these large companies that have raised tons of money projections change very dramatically from one year to the other. Right. And so I think right now, it's enough. It's good enough to say, well, we anticipate being hugely profitable within five years, right? That's enough for the street. Like the street says, okay, except for Jim Kramer. I'll give him credit. He says that Zillow should have never got into the house. I agree. Him. I've heard
1: him say that. And he yeah. thank you. Thank you, Jim Kramer, for being the voice of reason that that doesn't think this is like the best thing since sliced bread. And it's so easy to go into any market and have a bunch of employees going, Yep, let's buy this one. Yep, let's buy this one with
0: no skin in the game. Yeah. And it's hard. Here's the thing. The best comparison that I'll make for people so that they kind of understand what it, what this business is in a nutshell is, you know, when you have a car and you can sell, and let's say you own that car, you know, free and clear, maybe you have a little loan on it. Doesn't matter. Right. You could sell it on Craigslist. You can sell it on auto trader. You can sell it on those places. Right. And you can potentially get more money for it. But it's a little bit of a pain in the ass. There's just things that go along with it. Or you could march down to the dealership that you're going to buy your next car at, and you can say, I've got this one. Here you go. What will you give me for it? Right. And, you know, the dealership basically says, Yeah, we'll give you this. And people say, Sure, whatever, apply it towards my next purchase or not. What these companies are trying to do is basically act as a dealership in terms of taking a car back. The problem is, is that there's a lot more complexities with real estate than there are cars. And so, you know, they're trying to treat it as a pawn shop business, which it can be, and we have been doing it for years. I mean, that's what we do. We are basically, it it cheapens what we do, but we're essentially a pawn shop, right? We are a simple way to dispose of a large asset. But when you do it at scale, and you do it with other people's money at scale, there leaves a lot of room to screw this thing up. There's a lot of room for error. And the other thing, too, is that the best people in my space of of buying houses and repositioning them and reselling them, it takes years of touring houses, seeing repairs, understanding marketability to really be good at this job. Absolutely. And for these guys to come out of the box Mm -hmm. and go from zero to 100 miles an hour with a ton of money, who do you think they're hiring to make these decisions, right? They're not hiring somebody like me that's a pro that's been in this business for a long time because number one, we have our own businesses, but number two is they they're not going to be able to afford those types of people uh, because, and they just don't fit into their culture and what it is they're trying to do. So they're hiring people that are amateurs that are in the trenches, actually making the decisions, running these things. Now you have your big, you know, uh, visionary types at the top that, you know, have these big visions, but when it comes to everyday decision-making and risk grading and things like that, they're reliant on algorithms and valuation methods and things that, Really, you you can't do that. You know, with, with a car, you have Kelly Blue Book, right? And you have a grading mechanism and a bottom line value that you can assign it. With houses, it's very, very different because houses have a shelf life. Things get worn out. Certain things do, certain things don't. The marketability, the street, the traffic, the neighbors. There's all kinds of things. And so at the end of the day, they're trying to simplify an industry, which to some extent is going to happen. And it has happened. I mean, this, this is what we've done for years and will continue to do. But they are, as you said, they're doing it in a very reckless way. They're doing it in a way that doesn't make money. I realize they're trying to buy market share, and that's what's most important to them at this point. But I don't think that they will ever make money. I just don't think so. And I don't know at what point that will become a reality for the investors and Wall Street to accept. That I don't know. And so I, I I throw it back to you and say, do you think that 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 day is sooner, or do you think that day comes when the market slows and the first one implodes?
1: Um, <clears throat> great question, Tucker. Um, I think it's sooner than later, and and it's for a, a few reasons. Um, there is, I'm I'm telling you, there is pressure on companies to make money. Um, and it's not just these guys. These guys probably, I'm not. Well, Zillow's on Zillow's feeling pressure. Zillow's feeling tremendous pressure. Like dude, you're not a startup. you went public in two thousand eleven. You've had eight years. Figure out your business model. This is you know what pisses me off too, Tucker. You remember in the in the olden days where if you started a franchise, like if you started a business, let's just say you're in Portland, Oregon and you start a restaurant, right? And you go, um, and, and you you, you start you you, you, you you pour your blood sweat and tears into it and you work there day in and day out and you, you work on your menu and you work on your, your your atmosphere and you work on everything and finally one day you take off and and everybody's coming to you and and everything's going well and you're making money that would be the day you would go you know what I'm going to Seattle with this I'm going to Salem with this I'm going to California with this right these buffoons including Zillow by the way start going into new markets when they haven't even figured out how to make money in the market they're in <laughs> like, like what world is this like this is when this is when I love to hear you know the other guy I love to hear is um the guy from Shark Tank you ever see him on CNBC he's a commentator um Mr. Wonderful right oh yes he's he gets off on these guys he's like make money that is your job you need to learn how to make money. He's been saying that about Uber and Lyft. Like, we understand you know how to hire people to drive people around. When are you going to learn how to make money? <laughs> like, and and I feel this way about these guys. Like, Zillow is so proud of themselves, um, that they're, they're moving their instant offers from eight markets now to like 24 markets you lost a hundred some thousand dollars per house in eight markets and that is your green light to go into new markets and replicate and expand what you're doing. Like, come on, where's, where's reason here? Where's, where's sensibility. Um, I, a a couple other things I want to say here, Tucker. Um, Here's what's, here's, here's where, and and by the way, when I compare these guys to Uber and Lyft, and by the way, it's not only me that's doing it, the CEO of Zillow, the new CEO of Zillow, who, who's the leader of this, the idiot tank, um, he himself has compared compared himself to Uber, which is kind of uh, comical to me because you're comparing yourself to a company that still can't figure out how to make money, um. But what's so different, while, while there are similarities to Uber in this model, there is some huge differences that you touched on, Tucker. And I want to I go deeper with that. First of all, yes, these companies, they are in scaling this, they're having to put trust into employees who have no skin in the game and are going, yes, let's buy this one at this amount, right? And while... And that's where you are different than Uber, right? Like Uber and Lyft. Okay, um, you can, you can, you know, the the concept of hey, this person is at one two three Main Street. They want to go to you know four three two one Second Street, right? We've got mapping systems. There's all, all the knowns are there, like how to get from one place to the other. Um, you can even build algorithms that factor in time and traffic and stuff like that. You know what? You can't build algorithms of the stuff you said, Tucker. Um, this the floor plan, the gut feel, the the proximity to a busy road, the the um all the the smell, the 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 the, the pet odor that 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 is is in the house, the uh, the feel of the house, the marketability of the house. Guys like you and me, Tucker, who've been in literally thousands of houses and watched them not only been in them but then watched them sell as good as we are we sometimes miss it too right have you i i I can say a hundred percent every once in a while i'll have a listing that i think is going to go really fast at a certain price And we have to reduce the the price a few times and it takes, and it languishes. Gosh, I just had one in Lake Oswego on Westview court. I thought it was an amazing neighborhood, amazing floor plan, loved the house. I would have lived in the house, right? And it sat on the market for a year. Even when it got to its final price, we never lowered it for the last six months. It was at the same 1.3 million. We never lowered it. And we finally ended up getting an offer at that amount and closing, right? I, but and, and you know the, arguably the, the only feedback I ever got consistently was you know I wish the backyard was a little bit bigger but sometimes houses just sit they just need to sit like and then other times you'll have a house where you think you think it's an average house ma whatever and then it catches fire and you get four offers and it goes way over asking price where I'm going with this is first of all it's hard to to, it's hard to scale that. It's hard to have a bunch of buyers all over in different markets with no skin in the game, making those decisions and, and, um, replacing what is now status quo. You know what's status quo and you know what works? Let the seller ride that wave. Let them be the, the, the receiver of the benefit if you're wrong and it is worth way more. Let them be the, the loser if it's worth way less and they need to reduce. Trying to in interject an intermediary with those unknowns out there is not going to work. It is not going to work. It might work for a portion of the market. There it might work for you know the five, ten percent of the market where where and, and and but where maybe, maybe they need the money immediately. But you know what? If you give me a listing and I've got a seller that says I gotta get out of here immediately. And by the way, that's pretty rare. I mean, when was the last time I, I, it's pretty rare that I, I I meet sellers who went to bed on Tuesday, didn't need to sell their house, woke up Wednesday and they do. I mean, that's, that's usually not the, the, the flight path a a homeowner goes through. It's usually uh, miles and miles of approach. You know, there's the thought in in your, the back of their mind, okay, let's do something different. And then it starts to build steam and it's weeks and weeks and months and months. And that's not just true of home buying. That's true of moving, right? People that are renters don't generally wake up on Tuesday and then say, I need to be somewhere else on Saturday. Um usually they're giving notice at one place, they're looking around and 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 there's usually 30 days. And and that's renters. So imagine in the homeownership world, I I'm just not buying and believing that the real estate market needs instant transactions i know the world has changed and i know that instant is everywhere and i know that it's wanted in many places i'm questioning that it's wanted and needed and will
0: long-term stand in real estate i'll tell you this so just to break it down for our listeners there's there's two things in play here right number one is the sustainability of the business practice itself based on the way that they're operating, right? That's, that's that's question. Number one, how long can we burn money before we're held accountable? That's an unknown. We don't know. And market forces, may cause that money burn to, uh, you know, they may be throwing more briefcase of money on that bonfire, depending on which way the market goes, uh, how much, you know, they're trying to spend in order to get market share and get people aware of their programs in these new markets, um, what kind of overhead costs they have, what kind of bad decisions they make on the buy versus the sell, like some of the Redfin stuff you point out. That's one side of the business, right? And that is all unknown. Question mark. Who knows? They may they're they're chalking it up as they're doing transactions. They're um, you know they're creating data. They're, there's value creation here. So even though they're losing money, they see it as a value creation. So right now it's okay. We don't know where that's going to land. The other side of the business, though, that you talk about is that there is a percentage of people that will utilize this type of service. Now, is it everybody? No. But we've you know we've been servicing this crowd to some extent for, you know, 10, 12 years, and it's a small percentage of the market. We talk to a ton of people every week that are interested in what it is that we as an iBuyer could pay, but the vast majority of people are not interested in what that number is. And so then they will go the traditional channels in order to, as you say, be the beneficiary of the market forces. Now, there are some people that inevitably put value in ease of transaction. They put more value in the ease of transaction than they do in riding that market wave and dealing with everything that comes with it. Because regardless of what anybody says, it's still a process. It's still a journey. And so to simplify that journey, some people put value in that. And so for us, and ultimately for these iBuyers, it's about finding those people. Now, the iBuyers model is a little more flawed because they're just trying to make this more about everybody and buying on thinner margins, which ultimately puts them at more risk, which means they're going to have a higher likelihood of not making money, which is why it's inherently could be a very flawed business model. But there are people out there that will use this model, period. Now, there's one person that we're talking to right now. We I'm not going to say the prices or where it is, but their alternative is list the house. It's pretty much retail ready. They're going to be moving to Arizona and they just want Simplicity, and at the end of the day, they like me, and they've got a fair bit of equity, and they're okay with trading some equity for ease of transaction. Period. And that's,
1: that's a key point, Tucker. That's yeah. a key point, and, and I appreciate that you're touching on it. Absolutely, the, the, the difference is there. You know, there is. They are leaving money on the table. They are leaving money on the table, and 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 no that reason. has to be the case no for reason. the model to work, right? Yes, exactly. Because you're taking the risk that they otherwise would have taken,
0: yeah. right? And they are okay leaving that money on the table for the ease of the transaction that's created. The challenge then with these guys as they're coming in is at what point do they have to back down those numbers so that their risk numbers are in line with market, which are mine, right? As opposed to just buying up transactions. At what point do they need to do that? And that is, I I don't know. Um, But there is a, a segment of the market that will want this type of service and does want this type of service. But we're not going to be competing for the whole market. And to expect that they could do that and make money in the future, that's going, to be a, that's going to be uphill sledding. That's going to be real tough. And I think that's the basis of what these companies are based on because there's not a big enough segment of the market to service this large of a business and this many large businesses uh, with that type of seller, right? Somebody that's okay just trading ease of transaction for some equity in a large enough am- amount in order to sustain these large companies coming in and buying huge amounts of homes. There's only you know maybe 2-3% of the market that really fits that bill, right? And you can't build multi-gazillion dollar companies off of that small of a market share. You just can't do it. And so eventually, these companies are going to have to fall in line with what market is for what you're going to pay to then actually generate enough of a profit to make the business a business, which is what we pay. And I, just, I don't think that's ever going to happen. And so I don't know what the ultimate end is going to be for these guys. But I will say that right now they're burning money. And on the flip side, there are sellers that will use a service like this. Um, so for people to say, you know, cause I read some, some threads on masters where people are like, well, we just have to be more professional. We have to be a full service, this and that. And it's like, you can do all those things, but at the end of the day, there will still be a segment of the market that doesn't care. None of that matters. And, and that's just the reality, but that's not who you're servicing anyway. What would that's you say not- that
1: percentage is? I mean, I, I, I want to be, and let me, let me ask the question. Cause I, if, if a, if a house is worth 300,000, let's say a house is wor- retail ready and it's worth 300,000, Right. What would you be willing to buy it for to to take on the risk and and the carrying costs? What would you what discount off of that? Is it ten percent, Tucker? Because I think these guys are, are trying to make it work off six percent or five
0: percent, which is yeah, basically yeah. So the we commission. say we're generally eighty percent of we just say Zillow, but Zillow let's say is market value, right? We're okay. about eighty percent of market value, taking into account repairs that are needed, right? So as, essentially, at the end of the day. Because repairs could be in a big X factor, right? Repairs could be another 12%. They could be 0%. It doesn't matter, right? So at the end of the day, if if repairs are 0% and we're paying closing costs, holding costs, and selling costs, that puts us somewhere between 10 and 12% profit margin, right? Mm-hmm. If we're buying at 80% as little, which is a reasonable way to have a sustaining business. That's a reasonable. And that's a sustainable business. These guys are trying to do it off five, 6% Tucker. They're basically trying
1: to take the real estate commissions and make it work off of that and they're going, they are falling flat on their faces. There is just not that much meat on the bone. Like there are too many misses and it only takes a couple misses to take, to wipe out all the profits from the, 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 the couple that go good. Right? right. Or, or the masses that go good. Um, there, there are too many, they're trying to take and simplify a complex business. They're You know, it's not, you, you, you kind of touched on the car business, like you could totally do this with the car business. It's been done and it can be done. You look up, you know, a night, you know, a 2015 BMW, you know, three series in in this color with this many miles, you're going to get within a few percentage points. Yes. Yeah. One might be dinged up a little bit, you know, one, one might have a couple things going on it over another, but your margin of error is so small. Houses aren't like that. No two homes are the same. To, to put it in your words, no there's no two. Every home is a unique snowflake. With, the, with very few exceptions, and, and the only exception that I would ever say is condos, right? If you, you go into a condo development, yeah, do, do this all day long. It works, right? Because they're all going to be, you know, they have the same floor plans. You know, so they might have a little bit different view. One might be on a little bit higher floor, but they're all pretty th- the same. You start going into the detached home world, which is the vast majority of real estate. They are all different. They're all on different lots. They all have different backyards. They all have different floor plans. And to try to come up with a model where your margin of error and your profit and everything else falls within the five, six percent
0: is never going to happen. It's a tough business. It's a tough way to make money. And so that's why at the end of the day, they're going to have to be generating other things of value that are exceptionally valuable in order for that type of business to sustain long term. And and especially as we head into the next five years, because inevitably the market will continue to slow, the music will continue to potentially stop at times, and that's going to be some strong headwinds. And so if you're operating off super thin margins in an even slower market with a lot of exposure inventory-wise that you bought in one market, you're trying to sell in another, you know, that's even tougher. And so I don't know what is what's going to happen, but they have a ton of dumb money behind them right now. And it's that, the that, dumbest that, money. It's and the that gets you. That gives you a lot of runway, though. So yeah. And, yeah. and they've they've been using that runway, and they're going to use a lot of justification of data and market share and transactions, you know, to kind of keep shareholders and people at bay. But eventually, they're going to have to make money, and if they're operating off of that type of margin, I just don't see this being a profitable business at any point for them. Uh, at some point, they're going to have to fall back in line, and they're going to have to be offering you know, the types of margins that we have to sustain in order to be a profitable business. And so it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But I'll I'll leave it with the last thing is that there is a segment of the market that will take advantage of this stuff regardless of what people want to believe, but it is not an overly big segment of the market. It's probably five percent or less. And that's just the reality of, you know, what it is.
1: Yeah. And um <clears throat> and you know the other difference, Chucker, is I mean, we haven't even touched on contractors and service providers, right? I mean, you know, when you when you undertake this here in Portland, Oregon, where you 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 live and sleep and are, and you've got you've got relationships with roofers and painters and carpet people. Um, imagine scaling that into all these different markets where every one of those p- parties is trying to rip you off, and they're like, "Oh, Zillow's got dumb money," or "Open Doors got dumb money," and uh, I'm gonna cook. I it, it, it mean, it, the management of that is just, there's so many moving parts and they're trying, they're trying to, and what's so, what's so ironic to me, you know, I've got a complicated relationship with Zillow. Cause you know, I've, I've used them for years and, and here's, I'll, I'll, I'll sum it down to this. I trusted the, the former regime. I stood and talked with Spencer Raskoff and I listened to him from stages where he said, "We believe in the realtor model. Selling homes is too infrequent, too expensive, and too complicated for there ever to not be realtors." Right? Well, guess what? He's no longer around. And here's what else is weird to me, Tucker. He he's he's not even behind the scenes at Zillow. Like, don't don't tell me that that he agrees with what they're doing. If he agreed with what they're doing. I mean, it's one thing to say, "Hey, Rich Barton is the original owner and founder," and we're going into some headwinds. And we're going into some exciting challenges, so we're going to put Rich at the helm, but Spencer's going to be right behind him, and he's he's going to be you know rallying the troops and doing everything. That isn't what happened. We know. I I'm Facebook friends with Spencer Raskoff. He's like teaching courses at Harvard, and he's running around like uh, Los Angeles, you know, talking to tech people. He even did a, he did a little post about what I've done since Zillow. There's clearly, there was clearly a division. There was clearly a line in the sand where it was realized that they, they were going and they, they had different beliefs. Spencer believed in realtors and the realtor model. And he was right, by the way. And this new person is trying to expedia the real estate business and he's going to flat out fail. Um, and uh, so, al- along those lines, um, gosh, I had so- I had said something <laughs> something important to say. You can tell I'm a little passionate about this. I've been I've been dealing with this a little bit, and and um, but um, along those lines, um, back to your point, I agree, Tucker. There will always be people. Oh, there will always be people that that, that want to sell quickly, but they're going to realize less money, they, and they they know that that is the trade off. These companies are somehow trying to simplify our business and make it make it commoditize something that can't be commoditized. It's too complex. It's too infrequent. Every house is so unique. Every market is so unique. You know, as they start to do this, they're going to realize, oh, you know what? LA is a little bit different than Portland, and Portland's a little different than than Orlando, and and. Whereas a guy like Tucker, like you, you know, your market, you know, your market forwards, insides, outside, backwards, You've, you know, your people, you know, your contractors, you know what can sell. But even then, once in a while, you'll, 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 you'll have one probably, and we talked about this earlier, you'll have one, you'll go, whoa, that went way faster than I thought, or, whoa, this one's staying a little bit longer, I might, you know, not do so well now. And that's you now imagine trying to scale that. Imagine Tucker, if you had a guy in Orlando, Florida who had no skin in the game, he he called you up and goes, I'm buying this house. (laughs) I mean, what protections would you ever have to put in place to, to, to verify that you, that that was working? Now imagine hundreds of those guys. It's, it's just, you're trying to oversimplify something incredibly complex and, um, And you and yes, you have boatloads of money behind you and you and you you don't need to make money, but this is not going to have a happy ending for you. The bad news, you know, to sum up and and I know we got to get get off the podcast. What does this mean for us as realtors? You know, I, the bad news is in the short term, it's not good. And it's not good because we are going to be competing with Opendoor. And Opendoor is going to be calling up our clients. And it's going to be offering them in seven days pretty close to what we feel the value is, um, minus our commissions. Okay. That's not the good, that's, that's the bad news. And that's, and that's going to impact us. And, and I, to your point, Tucker, is that going to be for the next six months or six years? I don't think we know. The good news is it's going, it's, this is not sustainable. This is not sustainable. These companies are not going to make money at this and the music is going to stop. And it, the realization will come back in a big way that the model that, has been around for years and years and decades works. Let the seller ride the roller coaster up or the roller coaster down under the advice of somebody with a fixed commission who, who benefits slightly if they get more and benefits uh, and and is um, impacted negatively if it, if it gets a little bit less, but ultimately the seller is the, the one who should take the brunt of that because it's their home. And, um, and so
0: anyways, I'll leave you you with this. I think you're right. Um, I don't think that's going to stop them from burning money for the next, you know, few years. I will say this though, the type of home that they are going to go after that box is going to get tighter and tighter as they start to realize there are too many variables. And to some extent that box is already pretty small, but they're going to be, uh, you know, pushing the year built up. Uh, They're going to be pushing because when you do that, you X out a number of potential updates or problems that are no longer something you need to worry about because your level of understanding of who's underwriting the value in these deals, it's only going to be an entry-level type person. You're not hiring somebody like me who's a pro to do your value underwrites. You're hiring somebody, you know, an appraiser or somebody like that in-house that you know, let's be honest, appraisers, most of them don't, you know, know how to value anything. They just know how to crunch numbers and, you know, average cost per square foot and things like that. We're talking more in-depth analysis of repairs needed versus true value. And so they're going to be buying within a very small box of what it is that they can take these this risk on to operate on a thin margin and have this be a sustainable business. And so that's the good news is that is eventually if they're going to sustain, they're going to have to operate within that type of box. Otherwise, there's just way too much risk. Or they're going to have to fall back in line with what it is that we pay for houses, which is allows you to be a sustainable, profitable business. So either way, what is happening now, which is just buying market share, it's not sustainable forever. We'll see what happens when the music stops or when they're actually held accountable for making money. But my guess is that uh, that box will have to tighten a little bit uh, in order for them to continue to do this. And um, it'll be interesting, man. So yep. yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yep, yep, yep. Cool. Cool. Oh. Okay. Well, that was a long episode. We talked a lot about it. Obviously, there's a lot of thoughts about it. I'm sure everybody will enjoy thoughts on both sides. But you know, they're burning money right now. So uh, <laughs> sit back, grab some popcorn, and uh, let's see where this thing goes. But uh, it's it's a different it's a different world that we live in. That's for sure.
1: And it reminds me of the mortgage world in 2006. For some reason, I just feel eerie. Um, eerie similarities to it just you know just how easy they they make it seem and you know the lack of care and then just the gobs of money being thrown at it with with uh yeah with without a good game plan and 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 without with you know, just just dumb money, Tucker. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head there. What's funny to me also, you know, and last thought is if to the real flippers. It seems like they slowed down a couple of years ago um, because the market did get so competitive. And so, you know, and they they started to, start to feel the topping of the market. So it's crazy to me to see these what uh, what otherwise should be intelligent companies with investor money. Just being dumb, <laughs>
0: man. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting how it plays out. But yes, having both of us been in the market 2006 and seeing things that didn't make sense on paper getting done, this is very similar but on another side of the business. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where this goes, but you're right. There's the same feeling of this doesn't really make sense on paper. So is there a bigger thing here that eventually will pay out for them? Or are we on the precipice of... Another big oopsie poopsie. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. So uh, only time will tell. But uh, anyway, that wraps up episode 96. Thanks for hanging with us, everybody. We'll see you guys again here shortly on a uh, market recap episode. Thanks again for listening to our show. And make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.